As our language uh, changes, uh, we've talked about this probably quite a few times, uh, things become a little vague. Uh, uh, people invent new words. I, I was reading a thing where Shakespeare invented more words. We had our son invented a word this morning. What was Benjamin? What was the word he said uh, this morning? Were you at the uh, Julian invented like I, I don't remember what is is a word that I've never heard turned into a verb before. Uh, but but language does that. It evolves and and um, and so uh, there is there are words that we have. Uh, even in, in our scriptures, that because of the language we speak today, the fact that, and I'm not even talking about the Greek, I'm talking about Old English. We, we have some of these Old English words, or, or language is so different. I mean, um, you know, you're, you're singing uh, some of the songs. Uh, uh, the, a, the first, I don't know what a high and holy lay is. I, I, our language changes. Uh, we have words like that. It's like, I'm not sure what that means. Um, uh, so, so we guess by context. I'm going to give you an example, and we're going to kind of work into one of the titles of Christ as we're talking about Christ and the Christmas season. Uh, we, we have this, this uh, the verse here in 2 Peter, and I'm, I'm using King James here because it's going to illustrate the point. Uh, but some of you went to camps or something, you probably memorized it like this. This might look familiar. Uh, seeing then that these things shall be dissolved, talking about the, the earth, he says, what manner of persons ought ye be in all holy conversation and godliness? Now, when I was a kid, uh, you know, our perspective as kids is, is different than, than as we get older and, and we study. And Bruce was talking about Pearl Harbor. Uh, the, the, uh, my perspective of Pearl Harbor, I had no perspective. All I knew was uh, the church we went to was a Grange Hall. Uh, we, we rented a, a Grange Hall. And, and on, on the, the right side of the, 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 uh, the auditorium, there was this picture of this floating trailer home. That's what it looked like to me, was a floating trailer home. Well, it's obviously it was the Pearl Harbor Memorial, but to a, to a, you know, a four or five-year-old kid, it looked like a trailer home. Uh, we have no perspective, and, and so sometimes we, we look at this, we, we have a little bit of a different perspective. And, and when I look at this, the, I grew up thinking, well, God wants us to, to have godly conversation. God wants us to speak in a godly way. That's the way I, I understood this. Well, and because that's my language, well, in a, in a different era, that was a, that, this had a completely different understanding. Uh, and that becomes quite uh, obvious when we, we look at this word, the same word, in a different, uh, a different context. It says, likewise, wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. And this is not a sermon about wives. Uh, just, this is just a verse to prove a point. It says, so that if any, uh, if any obey not the word, they may also, without the word, be won by the conversation of their wives. And what he's saying is, is even if you, even wives that, that have unbelieving husbands could, could win their husbands by not speaking, just by having good conversation. It's like, wait a second, how can you have a good conversation without speaking? Because... The word conversation, and it's kind of obvious in the second one, has nothing to do with speaking. Right? Uh, that's not what it, what it meant. Uh, it meant behavior. Conversation was an old English word that meant behavior. So, so they would see your behavior and be one without any conversation, which is really confusing, right? But this is how language uh, evolves. And so the title of Christ, and this has nothing to do with, with what we're just, it's just an illustration to kind of open up what we're going to talk about. The title that we are going to look at today 
is going to be a little bit similar to this as we look at um, uh, some things that might have changed. And, uh, maybe, maybe not quite that dramatically. Uh, we're, we're looking at Luke chapter 2, verse 25 and, and 26, and you recognize this immediately as a, as a part of the, the Christmas story. He says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So obviously here he's uh, Simeon. You don't know much about Simeon. Uh, we were talking about him on Wednesday night, uh, who this guy is, and, and we really don't know much about him. But he was sitting here waiting for Christ. It says that specifically. He was not going to see death until uh, he uh, had seen Christ. You know, from that we assume he's an old man. It would be kind of disappointing if he was like 25 years old, and God says, well, you're not going to see death until... Until, you know, at 25 years old, you can wait a few years before, before I see Christ. But uh, we assume that he's an old guy. And just kind of waiting for seeing Christ. But, but here he says, he is the consolation of Israel. Now, when you hear the phrase consolation, you might think of many things. Because our language evolves, right? I'm not a big Olympics fan. I used to be. Uh, one, I, I, I don't like, I think things turned probably like in 1990 when we started letting all the professional athletes play it. That was one of the, the downsides. But um, the concept of getting a bronze medal is kind of offensive to me. Or think about a bronze medal. Uh, what it, what it simplifies, I, I know these guys work hard. Uh, and, 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 you know, to be out of hundreds of athletes in the world. And, and you... But the kind of the concept, uh, I, and I just I relate this to to something uh, that happened to me. And I, I remember playing in 1983 and 84. I played uh, little league baseball. Not, it wasn't great or anything. Um, but our in uh, 1984, um, we won. My my team won at that level, uh, the city. So we got these. I, somewhere I think my mom still has the trophy. Uh, Disproportionate to the actual accomplishments that we had. This thing was huge. Um, and, and we got to march in the, the 4th of July parade and all this, right? And it was great. We were at the front of the line. For our age group, we were at the front of the line. That was accomplishment. Right? And, and like I say, here this is like, you know, 30 or 35 years later or something like that. And probably this trophy still exists in, in some possession, some of ours, somewhere. The year before we lost, we lost to the same team that we beat in 1983. We got this trophy. Still disproportionate to our, to our actual accomplishments. I despised that trophy. Now, it, I hated that trophy. I don't think it made it one week in that house before it probably got thrown out. Because it was a reminder to me that we didn't win. That's all it was to me. It was no consolation. There was no consolation. So when I see the word consolation, this is what my mind thinks of. Oh, the consolation prize. It was a reminder. You did not win. I don't want this thing that says you did not win all the time. I want the one that says you won. Right? That's good. <laughs> Having to march in line behind the team that won. Oh, oh I want to be up there. Right? So when we think of consolation, we might 
have our mind drawn to that, but that's not at all what this word uh, consolation means. We want to look at Christ, uh, our consolation. Uh, whose job is this consolation exactly anyway? Uh, because, as I said, things take a little twist and some turns. The word for consolation is interesting. Now, now we are going to go past the, the Old English and we're going to go back to the Greek, just for a brief moment. Because this is a word, paraklesis. Now, some of you know what that word means, and some of you couldn't care less. Maybe even the ones who know it couldn't care less. But it is an interesting word in the Bible because it is not always used for Christ. Here it is, his title. And yet, sometimes uh, it's, it's used. Now, now, the word itself means to call near. It's two words, actually. Uh, Periclesis means to call near. Uh, and it means consolation in the sense of a comfort. We know this uh, from, from this verse, John 15, 26. Jesus, not talking about himself, but he says, when the helper comes whom I will send to you, that's the same word, comforter, or uh, consolation. Uh, I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father. He will bear witness about me. So, so here Christ is talking about the Holy Spirit as being the comforter. And so we need to talk about this thing called redundancy. This is the, uh, a word that a lot of you probably have experienced in a negative sense. Uh, you'll notice that when times get difficult, uh, companies lay off, right? We're even thinking about that now. Uh, what happens? You ever wonder, I, 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 used to think, I used to think about this, like, if a company you know, has people employed and they're doing things, how all of a sudden can they manage to, to just get rid of people? Like, aren't those people doing things? You're not going to have... You're not going to have the people you need to do things. Uh, so so how, do you, how do you go about doing that? I mean, there's only so many hours a day. You can't just make people work 18 hours a day. Right? Well, that's where we come to this word redundancy. Uh, and so what, when times get lean, right, what companies start looking for is people who are doing jobs that other people are doing for, things for, you know, in the same company. And say, well, we can, we can shift this around. We, because when times are good, they say, oh, we need this. And they just go out and hire somebody. A lot, a lot of companies do this. And they don't, they don't really think about organizing. They just, we, they're flush with money. Right? They're flush with money. And so they're just like, ah, hire a person to do this, hire a person to do that. And pretty soon, you build up this extra group of people that they're just kind of earning their paychecks and earning their paychecks and earning their paychecks. And then when times get lean, they go, oh, we need to Look at all these people we've been hiring over the last five or seven years or whatever. And so they cut off the redundancy and kind of reorganize. Because they've got a lot of people they probably don't really need. But when you've got money, who, that's too much to think about. Just hire somebody. Redundancy. Well, we don't want to say certainly that Christ isn't needed or that the Holy Spirit isn't needed or that there's redundancy in that sense. But what I want to illustrate is that, uh, that it is possible for people to do and have functions that overlap. Now, this is important for, for one reason. Uh, there is an idea, because, because we have, we like things, and I, I say this so many times, we love things in boxes, and we, we like to, everything to work out nice and neat, and, and it, 
especially in the Bible, never does. <laughs> as, as one teacher told me, there's no such thing as a textbook case. Uh, it's, it's, the, the truth is sometimes complex and difficult. And so the, we want easy answers. And so some people have said, well, since they both have the same title, maybe Christ and the Holy Spirit are the same being or person. And that's how they <coughs> solved that riddle. So same, what it says, well, Christ went back and then he sent the Holy Spirit so they're not there at the same time, see? So he went back and kind of came back in the form of the Holy Spirit. Now it's with us, right? And we talk about the Spirit of Christ and they, they put all these things in, and because they can't come to grips with the fact that sometimes there's redundancy. Sometimes people do the same jobs. Maybe we have jobs at work where, where people do similar similar jobs. You know, if, if Bob gets laid off because he, uh, he does some of Sally's job and some of Joe's job, it doesn't mean that Bob is Sally and Joe. We would recognize that instantly. In the same way, the Holy Spirit is not Christ. We, sh- we should know that from the Scriptures. Just because they have redundant jobs, maybe they overlap. Maybe that's a nicer way to say that. Maybe because they have jobs where, where they overlap some, some we look at the Father and, and Christ and see that they're both involved in creation and even the Spirit is involved in creation. Just because some of their functions overlap doesn't mean they're the exact same in person. I think that's important. But I want to talk about Christ's position. Um, John fourteen sixteen. he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. And this kind of confirms the point that we just made. There is some overlapping in what they do. Uh, that, that, that Christ says, I'm going to go and there's going to be a different helper. And they have some different functions and some, some different ways that they do this, which we're, we're going to see uh, a little bit. So, so knowing some of these basic things, it, I think it's more important to know the consolation. Know Christ. Uh, as our consolation. Now, we have to ask another question. Uh, is this title applicable to me? Now, th- there's a couple of reasons that I, that I think that we should ask this question. And there's several references, and, and one of them, some you might be able to even guess from, from some of these. John talks a lot about this subject. But uh, in, in John chapter 16 and verse 7, he says, Nevertheless, I, I tell you the truth. Uh, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I said, well, well, this isn't even applicable to me. Christ as the consolation isn't applicable to me, because Christ said, I am going away, and I'm going to send a different Helper to you. So, so for us, Christ is not our consolation. Again, this is maybe an oversimplification. Christ is not the... the the consolation to me. The Holy Spirit is my consolation. He is the helper, the consoler, the one God says to draw near to. Uh, that's, that's the one who calls us near, is, is the Holy Spirit. So, so Christ does not act in that sense anymore for us. Another is, is this reference, uh, as we see this transition to the Holy Spirit. We, we back up, and, and even this idea, who was Christ the consolation of? He was the consolation of Israel, while I'm not Israel. We're Christians. We're the church. 
And Christ was the consolation of Israel. And we even look at that, and we can look at the, the, the purpose that Christ comes. It's a temporary mission. He speaks to, to Jews. He, he's, that's who his, his consolation was, to call Israel close. And then he sends the Holy Spirit, and the, the church comes, and then it expands to the Gentiles, and that's the Holy Spirit's work. So he said, Andrew, you're, you're asking us to know, in, in all these titles, we've, we've been looking at how we know Christ, not just by this title and, and understand some of the things he does, but to, to make it real to me, and, and how I can develop a relationship with Christ through these titles, and this title doesn't apply to me. This title applies to the Holy Spirit more now. That's true. To a certain degree. I want to talk about, uh, give you an illustration of how it's, it's partially true. In, in, in doctrinally speaking, that would be, it would be accurate. But there's an application of this that I want to draw. Um, in 2011, it does not seem like that long ago. I by the name of Steve Jobs passed away. Everybody knows who Steve Jobs is. The CEO. Now, now, how many people at Apple ever interacted with Steve Jobs? Very few. Very few. And yet, Steve Jobs affected everyone there. Steve Jobs' fingerprint was all over that company. Everybody was influenced by Steve Jobs. <coughs> Now, Tim Cook replaced him in 2011, still the CEO. We're eight years later. Everybody at Apple is influenced by Steve Jobs. That's, that's the reality. That's the reality. Steve Jobs' fingerprint is still all over that. Does it make a difference if he's the CEO now or not? You think Tim Cook is going to walk in and say, yeah, iPhone, we're done with that. New, new CEO. Yeah. That's the bread and butter. That's it. Just some people leave an indelible mark. And, and, and this is the same thing that's true. Uh, we're going to look at Christ's mission. And, and the Holy Spirit is certainly with us to help us accomplish these things. But the Holy Spirit is, I know that Christ came to do this thing, but I've got a completely different idea. No. That's not how it works. Christ has left his mark. Christ came for a temporary thing, that's true, and he's, he's left the Holy Spirit, but he's left the Holy Spirit with his same mission. His fingerprints are, are still all over everything happening. We still understand Christ as a consolation and his through, and it is interesting to me that, that the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ. He is still working Christ's mission in us. So we still know, even though we know specifically the Holy Spirit as our comforter, it is still the comfort of Christ uh, that, is, that is working in us. And so the work of the Holy Spirit will always mirror what Christ came to do. Even if, if Christ's specific mission was to, to the Jews, it's still the same thing he wants to do in the world. We talked to some about that last week. We're going to kind of review that or, or go over that a little bit uh, as we go through here. I want to talk very briefly about desperate times. When the right time came, 
God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. And this goes to what Christ came. He came here. He was to the Jews. He was born under the law. But I like this phrase, he came at the right time. Now, I, I ask, if we think about the time that he came, we would never come to the conclusion that Christ came at the right time. Think about how hostile the world was. We, we talked about some of the things going on in this part of the world. What, what Galilee was and Nazareth was. Just, I mean, just an awful place. Nothing good can come from this area. And we, and we find that that's where Jesus did the majority of his ministry. We, we look at the condition of the, the family. You know, the, the Old Testament ends with numerous books dealing with the subject of divorce. And, and, and just no-fault divorce, by the way. And, and we look at 400 years later, and, and Christ says, my mission is to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. Nothing changed in 400 years. And I, that's a part of why I believe God says, I'm, I'm done with you here. I'm going to go over here and work with these people. Just everything, there was nothing that was a fertile place for, for Christ. Everything was hostile. It was a hostile environment. And God says, I sent him at the right time. Why was it the right time? When it seems that it should be the wrong time. Because that was the time where everybody needed what Christ came to bring. That's why it was the right time. It was the perfect time. Who needs God but a godless people? It was the ver perfect time for Christ to come. I mean, people are so wicked, who's going to listen? Wicked people. People who are out of answers, people who, who have tried everything else, much like Solomon tried everything, went through and tried to fill things with this answer, and then this answer, I tried money, I tried this, I tried that, I tried women, I tried everything. I tried entertainment. And God says, okay, good, now you're ready to listen, you've tried it all. And that's the condition of Israel. Have you noticed the culture we live in? How many people have bemoaned the culture that we live in? Oh, you can't, I mean, the churches are dying because the world is so wicked. Do we know Christ as our consolation? We've all talked about society. We've talked about the corruption of everything from politics all the way down. We've talked about the corruption of, of, of entertainment and how entertainment is awful. It is a culture that is unhospitable, which means it's the right time for some consolation. This is not the wrong time. This is not the time to be depressed about the condition or the future of the church. 
This is the time where people with a spiritual vision should look at the society around us and say, here is opportunity. Here is opportunity for consolation. Look at the condition of the home. Look at the things going on in the news with kids. Look at, I mean, this week. Think of this week. What is going on with kids? It's the right time <coughs> to call people near. This is not a time for depression about the future. We know Christ by extension. It is the right time. I spoke in some generalities. I want to be just a little bit specific and, and give some ideas. Some of you work in, in, with children. Some of you understand these on a deeper basis than I could ever. Some of you see these things every day. And some of you do what you can do. This is not the time to be in our ivory castles in a subdivision. This is a time to interact with people who have needs. We talked last week and closed with clearing room and finding Nazareth. And I want to close with, with a challenge that, that is similar. <clears throat> and that is simply this. Are you ready for some desperate measures? These are desperate times. They call for desperate measures. I knew a church. I'm not saying that this is uh, something that we should or could do. I knew a church. It was a fairly small congregation. Everyone in the church decided to foster. That was going to be their thing they did. Everyone. Foster. Small congregation. I'm not saying that we can do it. I'm saying we have to interact. There's the Boys and Girls Club. There's all sorts of things that we can do to find people who are in need. Christ's mission was to the children. We talk about not looking past the people who are invisible in society. That wasn't a throwaway sermon. We've got to do something. These are desperate times. They call for desperate measures. They call for us to call people near, to be Christ's consolation, to carry on that ministry, to let Christ's fingerprints be on all of us. We're going to close with that.